Hi, church. Uh, so, yep, I'm Maverick, um, and I'm going to be doing the Bible reading for us today. So we're going to be reading from Revelation 3, uh, 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the person who is victorious, I will give the, give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious, and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, that's a clip from the office, and you've met Michael Scott. He's the regional manager of a paper supplies company, and he is woefully self-deceived. He thinks he is fantastic at his job, the world's best boss. But even from that clip, you can tell he is the only person in the office who thinks that. And the show is a comedy, so you can imagine the kind of hijinks that happen as this boss rolls around, getting himself in all sorts of trouble. And it's funny watching this show until you actually meet someone like that in real life. Because in real life, self-deception is not a funny thing at all, is it? Which is why the passage we just read, that's why it's so confronting. See, today we are coming to the end of our series in Revelation. We spent a number of weeks looking at these seven letters uh, in Revelation, letters written to seven ancient churches in what's now part of Turkey. And today we meet this church in Laodicea. And here's the spoiler alert. They've become woefully self-deceived. And the result is far from funny. So let's get into it. Uh, The city of Laodicea, you can see it uh, on on a map here. Um, It's very close to two other places. Uh, Heropolis was 10 kilometers up and Colossae, from which we get the letter to the Colossians in the Bible, you might be familiar with, about 17 kilometers to the south and east. So these other cities, the three cities are close by with each other, but Laodicea was very prominent. It was known for having its bank. Uh, it was known for making clothes. It was known there was also a medical school in the city there. And it was also a very rich place. So you might remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about the church in Philadelphia and how uh, in Philadelphia and Sardis, there had been a large earthquake about 70 years before the letter was written. It, it affected a lot of this area, including Laodicea. But there's also a significant earthquake in Laodicea about 30 years before the letter was written. Uh, it kind of um, leveled the city. The city needed to be rebuilt. But here's the thing that the Laodiceans pri- prided themselves on. They did not need help from the Roman government to rebuild. They didn't need any handouts. They funded their own city rebuild from themselves, from their own money. Uh, This is a big accomplishment. It speaks to the riches of the people in this city. 
And in this city, there is a church. You might have noticed as we read through the letter to this church in Laodicea, Jesus has nothing positive to say to them. Look again at how the letter begins in verse 15. Jesus speaks to them. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus says this church is like uh, lukewarm water, which is probably a, a reference to where the, where, where the city gets their water from, their water supply. Uh, now, you might remember again, Hierapolis, 10 kilometers to the north there. Uh, in Hierapolis, there are hot springs. And so the people of Laodicea, they looked at this and they thought, you know what we would like? We'd like a supply of hot water in our city. So they built the big pipes and they got it. They, they, they flowed water from the hot springs at Hierapolis down to their city. But can you figure out what the problem with that is? Uh, it's 10 kilometers between the two cities. So most of the time, by the, by the, most of the time, by the, by the time the water gets into the city of Laodicea, it's not hot anymore, right? It's gone lukewarm. It, it's not refreshing like you know proper cold water is, but it's not hot water either. It's just not really good for anything. Just blah. And that's what Jesus is saying the church in Laodicea is like. They, they, aren't what, they aren't doing what they really should be doing. This is not a church on track. It's just blah. And so Jesus says he's about to spit them out of his mouth. Uh, I want to let you on a secret about me. Okay, here it is. I have never in all of my life ever eaten an oyster. I used to work in a place where we sold them. We'd cook them and, and sell them and... And look, to be honest with you, at sometimes we cook too many of them, and so they're just sitting there, and so our boss said, do you want some? Come eat these. And I still I would not eat these oysters. And here's the reason why. I was probably around about 10 years old, and our family, uh, we got invited out to dinner. We had a family friend took us out to dinner. It was a bit of a get-together, so there's kind of 20 or 30 people there. And dinner that night was an all-you-can-eat buffet. Very nice, especially as a growing uh, boy. I I was sitting there with my brother and my sister. Me and my brother, we pigged ourselves out this night. Um, but at one point, the family friend, she comes up to us and she loved oysters. And she said, oh, guys, you have to try the oysters. They're fantastic. And we looked at each other and go, oh, no, thanks. But she insisted, no, 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 give them a try. And so what do you do in that situation? Well, you push your younger sibling forward and say, here, you do it. Uh, so my little brother, he, he gets dobbed in. He eats the oyster. And can I be honest with you, the look on his face told me everything I needed to know. Kind of screwed up as he tried to swallow it down and he made a third and fourth. Eventually he got this oyster down. But for the next little while, it looked like the only thing he wanted to do was to vomit it up all over again. And ever since that day, I decided I never want to eat an oyster. But that's the image we've got in Revelation here. Jesus says he's about to spit this Laodicean church out of his mouth, to vomit them out. That is, there is something wrong with them, something off, something is just not right about them. At this point in reading the letter, you think, well, what could make them so bad? What's gone wrong here? And we get our answer in verse 17. Have a look at verse 17. Jesus speaks to the church and he says, You say I'm rich and have acquired wealth and don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. <laughs> The, the, the problem with the Laodicean church is, is quite simple, right? It's self-deception. 
they think they've got it all, that they're rich, but they don't. In fact, Jesus says they're far from it. They're they're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. They think they've got it all, but Jesus says you have got nothing. Uh, Most of us would have heard of this man, Kerry Packer, right? He died in 2005, but for many years he was Australia's richest man. Uh, He's immensely wealthy, kind of in 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 the crazy rich level. But there's this story that, has emerged about Kerry Packer, a famous story. One day he's in a casino. He's known for being a gambler. He's in America. He's at this casino. And he's in the high rollers room, sitting at a table playing, I don't know, whatever high rollers play. Anyway, into the high rollers room walks a Texan guy who's a bit of a business tycoon over there. And this guy, he's brash and he's loud. He wants to own the room. And eventually he decides he wants to take a seat at, at Kerry Packer's table where he's playing whatever. But by this stage, Kerry Packer's heard enough of the noise and he says, no, mate, not here. And the Texas businessman, he doesn't take too kindly to this. And so he he asks him, says, well, why not? I'm a big player too. Don't you know I'm worth a hundred million dollars? And so the story goes that Kerry Packer looks back at him completely unimpressed, reaches into his pocket and pulls out a coin. He says, "Uh, hundred million, hey? I'll toss you for it. See, this Texan guy thought he was rich. $100 million. He reckons he's got it all. But Gary Packer hears that, and it's like it's pocket change to him. It's the kind of money that he's happy to win or lose on a game of heads or tails. This church in Laodicea here, they're kind of like that Texas businessman. They're self-deceived. They reckon they are so rich. They reckon they've got everything. No one could possibly be at their level. But the problem is they don't have it. Now, in a material sense, they do have a lot, right? Remember, they, they are part of a city that had enough money to rebuild itself after these earthquakes tore everything down. These Laodicean Christians are probably quite wealthy when it comes to material things. But their problem is this. When it comes to spiritual things, things of eternal value, well, they're shockingly poor. They're desperately short of what they need. They're in a state of spiritual poverty i wonder if you've ever really thought about that idea uh, spiritual poverty you, you could be forgiven for, for for not because it's not something that we talk about in australia very much at all it's not part of our culture it's not what we value think about it what what fills up our news cycles week after week after week what's well, things about our economy and the interest rates and the cost of living and the economic impact of this initiative or, or of that program because we're interested in money we're interested in material wealth. Or what are the things that get advertised time after time after time on our TV screens? What's well, things about entertainment and, and holidaying and sports, especially coming up to the grand final weekend next weekend, is because we're interested in leisure and good times and downtime. And, but spiritual things and, and, and matters of eternity? Uh, it's not something we really talk about in that country, is it? But do you notice here for Jesus how important this is? 
Because this church in Laodicea, they really are rich. They might have material things, money in the bank, money in the bank, expensive stuff. But when it comes to spiritual things, things of eternal value, they are desperately poor. So, what can they do about this then? How do they change where they're at? Jesus is really clear what they need. What they need is, it's him. What this spiritually poor church needs is Jesus. So take a look at verse 18. Jesus says to them, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. The church here, they need to go to Jesus. They have to go to him for gold. You know, they think they're rich, but they're not really. And we know that for ourselves, don't we? Because the, the, the riches that the Laodicean people had, where are they today? I don't really know. But I do know one thing, right? The Laodiceans don't have them anymore, do they? Because death robs us of our entire bank account. So Jesus says, come and get gold from me. Get the stuff that lasts from me. Take a look at the incredible riches Jesus promises his people. This is from verse 21. He says, to the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Can you imagine any place that has greater riches than this? Sitting with Jesus on his throne. The the entire universe at your fingertips. See, eternal riches are only found in Jesus, so go to him for your gold. And the letter says, go to him for your clothes too. Buy from him white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. The people in this church, again, they think they've got it all right. But Jesus says, no, 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 you're naked. You need something to cover you. Nakedness here is it's about shame and exposure. But these white clothes from Jesus, they're about purity and honor. And a quick note there, this is not a racist thing about whiteness. It's not about the color of skin or anything. But in Revelation, whiteness is the symbol of purity, of cleanliness. And that's it here. It's pure clothing, clothing that will last, it will bring honor. Not the kind of clothing you can get from the markets that the Laodiceans are famous for selling. It's the only thing, you, this, is, this, is, this is something you can only get from Jesus. And it goes on, go to Jesus for self. And it sounds weird when it just says like that. But, but here's a church that thinks they're on top of the world, right? The problem is they're not seeing right. They're short-sighted. They've only got the, the, the now in view. And so they need self, ointment, something to help them see properly. This isn't, this isn't something they can get from going down to the medical school down the road. No, they need to go to Jesus. He's the one who brings true sight, the one who helps us see into our eternity and our eternal future, not just for the next 40 or 50 years, but the next 400, 500 years. Here we have in Laodicea a church that is self-deceived. They think they've got it all, but they are desperately poor. They're in a state of, of spiritual poverty, and what they need is Jesus. The only one who can give them what they need is Jesus. 
There's a psalm in the Bible, Psalm 42. You might know it. Um, Here's how it starts. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. It's a lovely little line, isn't it? And I wonder what springs to mind for you when you hear this. Perhaps a pristine forest, a tranquil river running through, and there's a deer lapping up the water, nice and happy. Perhaps, perhaps something like this picture. It's nice, isn't it? It looks. There's a view of nature there. It's, this is this, this is creation, a beautiful thing. But that's not what the psalm is saying at all. In the psalm, the deer is panting for water. That is, it is dying of thirst. It's a scraggly-looking thing with ribs showing. It's stumbling along, desperate because it knows if it doesn't find water soon, it's a goner. That's what the psalm writer is saying about himself here. He is so desperate for God. His soul is so panting after God because he knows without God in his life, he's a goner. That's what Revelation is telling us here too. Jesus is saying to this church, you're in peril. You're in a place of spiritual poverty, in desperate need. What you need is me. For honestly, that's that's not really how I think about myself very often, in desperate need. I don't really think of myself anything like a deer that's about to die of thirst unless I have more of God in my life. But if I'm listening to the Bible, that's what it's saying about me, that that without Jesus, that's exactly what I'm like. I wonder if if I saw myself more like this, I wonder how much more I'd, I'd really try and cling on to Jesus. You know, um, hang off every word he says. How much more desperately I would, I, I would pray for things. How much more I'd just devote myself to Jesus with all of my life and seek him in everything. I wonder what it means for you too. It's a strong rebuke, this passage, isn't it, for this church? I mean, Jesus calls them uh, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. He says he's about to spit them out of his mouth. It's a strong rebuke. But it's not a rebuke that comes from a place of anger. Actually, it comes from love. And you see this in verse 19. Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. We get this, right? It makes sense, doesn't it? Because the loving parent will discipline their kids because they want them to know right from wrong. You probably heard this joke before. There's a kid, and he does something wrong. I don't know, maybe he rips up his sister's painting or something. Uh, And so his parents decide he needs to have a smack. It's back in the 80s when this happened all the time. So dad comes in with the wooden spoon and he says, son, I want you to know I'm doing this because I love you. And the kid responds, he stands up and he says, oh, great news, dad. Look, I already know you love me, so I guess we don't have to do this then, right? It's a bad joke, aren't it? But there's a truth in it. We discipline those we love, right? And that's Jesus is here. 
this strong rebuke for this church comes from a place of love. He wants them to be corrected. He doesn't want them to be lost in spiritual poverty forever. And so this is reinforced in verse 20. Look at what Jesus says to the church in verse 20. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is at the door. He's knocking. He's waiting. Not waiting to come in so he can bop you in the mouth or take out your kneecaps with a hammer or something. No, no. He's coming in to eat. It's a sign of his love for this church. He wants to be with them. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this really clearly. That is Jesus' heart for us too. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it can be easy to feel like, Jesus must be so cranky with me now. I know I've let him down and... Oh. No, no, no. But, but what is Jesus' heart? It's not one of disappointment or of anger or of frustration. It's one of love. It's a heart of love, even in the midst of, of when we are like this church, caught in our sin, caught in our pride. Jesus' heart for us is a heart of love. In the midst of discipline and hard times, when Jesus is calling us back to him, his heart for us is a heart of love. And so this letter ends with a familiar call in verse 22, where he says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I want to do that now, just just last few moments to consider, what is Jesus saying to us here? What have we heard today? Well, we've met this church in Laodicea, and they are self-deceived. They reckon they're rich, they've got it all, but Jesus says, no, you don't. In many ways, they're the opposite of the church in Smyrna. You might remember a number of weeks ago now, we read about the church in Smyrna. There, the Christian believers were poor. They had nothing. But Jesus called them rich. Here we are, though, the opposite today in Laodicea, where the people are wealthy and think they've got it all. But Jesus says to them, no, 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 no. You are poor. You're in a place of spiritual poverty and you desperately need me. This is a horribly self-deceived church. I want to say, I think that for Christians in, in the West, in places like Australia, we particularly are in danger of being a church like this. Not that I think you are, friends, but here's the issue. We're rich. Even those amongst us here today who are less well-off, you compare us to the rest of the world, we are incredibly rich. So as we live in this culture with all this wealth around us, it can become very easy for us just to think, we've got it all now. We're made. And we might have lots. We might be rich in terms of our money and bank balance. Or rich in terms of the opportunities in front of us in life. Or, or rich in terms of the resources and the things we have access to. But don't be deceived, friends, because if we are without Jesus, what does any of that matter? In the long run, the biggest bank account doesn't win, does it? So, friends, be aware of self-deception and particularly aware of the self-deception that riches and money can bring in life. question then, of course, is how do we do that? 
How do we make sure we don't become blinded by our riches and, and deceived by them? How do we, what are the kind of things we can do to, to, to protect ourselves from that? Well, I just want to give three quick and simple things. These are probably things that come to your mind already, but perhaps this is something to keep talking about with one another over a cup of tea later on. But here just are a few quick things from me. Protecting yourself to make sure that our riches don't blind us. First thing is make sure you're in the Bible, friends. This is God's word. We need to hear his voice in our lives. He's the one who's going to call us back when we're missing the mark. He's the one who's going to call us to repent. We need to be hearing his voice. And in fact, it's his word, isn't it? It's his voice that wins our hearts back to him. So keep in the Bible, friends. Number two then, keep in Christian community. That is, be, be part of a church. Uh, you are part of a church. That's why you're here, right? But... But this is something we need to keep being reminded of because the Bible is great and, and, and being in the Bible is great and we're supposed to be in it on our own. But even better is when we get to do this together. Because when I read it with you, well, you help me see where I'm misreading it and not understanding it. And I get to help point you to the parts that you've forgotten about and together we help each other read the Bible better and understand what God is saying to us better. And so we stop each other from becoming self-deceived. If I'm just reading the Bible on my own, I can find it so easy just to make sure that everything I want is just ticked off, ticked off, and the bits that I find challenged I can easily skip over. But when I read it with you, you say, no, no, you can't skip over that bit. Being a church community together where we read the Bible together, and on top of that, actually being part of church gives us examples, doesn't it? We, we, we can see each other up close we can see how other people live for Jesus and that can spur us on to keep pursuing Jesus above all else, above the riches that this world offers. So be in church community and so thirdly then, community groups. Be in a community group. And I realise this is not possible for everyone. Different life situations make it harder for, for some of us. But, but these are great because you get to do both of those things, don't you? You get to be in the Bible with others. A smaller group of people from church, and as you do that with each other, you can't help but be confronted with what God is saying. You call on each other to change and to live according to God's word and not be deceived. So three ideas there, and I'm sure there's plenty more. Keep chatting about it at morning tea. But friends, we want to be aware of self-deception and particularly the deception that riches can bring in our lives. Without Jesus, we are desperately poor, spiritually speaking. So the encouragement to them is to keep going to Jesus. Simple message, right? Keep going to Jesus. Don't stray from him. Go to Jesus because everything we need is in him. We need to pray that we do this, friends, don't we? It doesn't happen really by our effort, by God keeping us with Jesus. So let's pray that God would help us do that. Let's pray. Our Father God, we hear the call of this passage and... It's big. We don't want to be those who are self-deceived, who think we're rich when we're not. So please help us, Father, continue to go to Jesus. Help us grow in our love and devotion to him. That we will be those who see the world rightly, who aren't taken in by the deceitfulness of riches in the world around us. But who continue to love Jesus and put him first in everything we do. We need your help, Father. Please be with us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.